If you've got your Bibles this morning, turn to Luke chapter 1. We're kind of working our way backwards through the Christmas story, right? But let's stand as we open to Luke chapter 1. We'll be in verses 39 through 55. But I, and then we're going to bring to light some things that happened before we get to verse 46 as well. When we talk about the subject of uncontainable joy, uncontainable joy. Mary, as she had visited at the home of Elizabeth, her relative, song of Mary here in verse 46, in God my Savior, because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his slave. Surely from now on all generations will cause, call me blessed, because the mighty one has done great things for me, and his name is Holy. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, mindful of his mercy, just as he spoke to our ancestors, to Abraham and his descendants forever. Father, we thank you for this song of joy, this burst of praise because Jesus, you were coming into the world. And as Mary was so humbled to be your servant, Lord, may we also have a spirit of great joy when we humble ourselves in the eyes of our mighty God, that you would make yourself known to us and that you would use us to make you known, to bring you into this world. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated this morning. Oliver Wendell Holmes, one of the most famous Supreme Court justices in history, uh, made a lot of quotes that he became famous for. Just to mention a couple of them this morning, he said that insanity is the logic of an accurate mind over task. Anybody ever felt like that this time of year? He said, the sound of a kiss is not as loud as that of a cannon, but the echo lasts a great deal longer. He was also famous for talking about his faith. He said, it's faith in something and enthusiasm for something that makes life worth living. I want to think about that quote for a moment because I think he missed it just a little bit. He said, it's faith in something and enthusiasm for something that makes life worth living. The adjustment I would like to make is not, it's not faith in something and enthusiasm for something. It's faith in someone and enthusiasm for someone. And that someone has to be none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. When we have faith in Jesus and enthusiasm for Jesus, brothers and sisters, that's what makes life worth living. Apart from that, I would not know how to tell you to find joy in this world as we talk about uncontainable joy and what led up to Mary's uncontainable joy and how she expressed that. We should face, I believe, each day like a five-year-old on Christmas morning. You know, Oliver Wendell Holmes also made this statement. And I think it's kind of a sad statement, and it's really an indictment on pastors. So can I pick on preachers just a little bit this morning? He made this statement when, he, when, when asked about his 
life calling and his life career as a lawyer and a jurist and then a Supreme Court justice for 30 years, he said, I might have entered the ministry if certain clergymen I knew had not looked and acted so much like undertakers. Now, I wonder how many people look at preachers today and pastors and even Christians, servants of the living Christ, those of us who say that we know Jesus and love Jesus and desire to serve Jesus. How many of those in the world look to us and say, I might have become a Christian had I not seen so many of them that looked like they had been sucking on pickled persimmons all of their life, so lacking in joy. I want to look at this text and share four truths with you, and these truths uh, are not mutually exclusive. They don't stand alone. They, they overlap, and in some cases kind of say the same thing that the other did in a different way. As we work our way through the text, you'll see what I'm talking about. But it's going to remind us where our joy comes from this morning, in case you've forgotten. And the Christmas story is no better, uh, there's no better place to start than the Christmas story. So we'll begin with this truth. Number one, our joy is uncontainable because Jesus is close. When we understand that Jesus is close, we have an uncontainable joy. I've been reminding myself of that all week. In fact, as I begin to study and prepare for this passage, I told myself, whether it was prompted of the Holy Spirit or not, you be the judge, but I told myself, uh-oh, I'm preaching on joy next Sunday, and so that means the devil is going to do all he can to try to steal my joy. And you would not believe the number of things that th- would happen throughout the week and, and things that I would see and experience and hear just Tons of little things, nothing major. In fact, the Lord impressed upon my heart that the devil doesn't use major things to rob our joy. Because when big things go wrong, then we turn to Jesus because we don't know what else to do and in his presence is fullness of joy, right? But tons of little things happen that can just rob your joy. And even though I had prepared for it, sometimes... Sometimes I I followed James chapter 1 and counted all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, and other times I didn't do so well. I mean, it it could be just a simple thing like um, autocorrect, messing up your text message three times in a row, and all of a sudden you're you're ready to take that phone and just, you're like, man, how little things, um, sporting events that don't go your way, little things rob our joy throughout the days and throughout the weeks of our lives. Joy is uncontainable when we recognize that Jesus is close. That's the story of Christmas. The Word became flesh and moved into our neighborhood, dwelt among us. We beheld His glory. Jesus was Emmanuel, God with us. He is close to us even today through the very Spirit of Christ that lives in us. And so we have an uncontainable joy when we realize how close he is. Now let's look at the context of Mary's song here. Let's back up just a few verses and read about John the Baptist. I find this is a remarkable story, a remarkable part of the Christmas story. Verse 39, in those days Mary set out and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judah where she entered Zechariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, Look at this. The baby leaped inside her, and Elizabeth was filled 
with the Holy Spirit. Who was the baby inside her? John the Baptist. Jesus was close, and even in the womb, while Jesus was in the womb and John the Baptist was in the womb, John the Baptist leaped for joy on the ends. Doesn't this tell us how awesome and precious life is, even in the womb, that John the Baptist could experience the motion of joy at this moment, and that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry. Can you imagine this? I can just picture two ladies who are expecting, and they're getting together, and they're related, they're so excited, and she just said, you are the most blessed of women, and your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For you see, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped for joy inside of me. And she who has believed is blessed because what was spoken to her by the Lord will be fulfilled. There is joy in being close to Jesus. We lose our joy, church, when we're not close to Jesus Christ. The the wise men would express this. In Matthew chapter 2, we read the story of the wise men, and they had followed the star. And it says, when the star came over the place where the baby was, when it came over the house where our Messiah was, that They rejoiced with exceeding great joy. Now, they had seen the star for many, many days, and they had followed that star. And it doesn't say that they had rejoiced with great joy all along the way. But now, in Matthew chapter 2 and verse 10, they were close. And being close to Jesus brought great joy into their hearts and into their lives. And again, we lose our joy when we're not close to Jesus. Being close to Jesus is a key to experiencing uncontainable joy. Remember when King David, who had been a man after God's own heart, got far from God? And we know that he, he got involved in things. He committed adultery with um, Bathsheba. We know that that led to other sins in his life. And he was far from God until Nathan the prophet confronted him. And eventually David got clean with God as he came before God in Psalm 32. And he begins to talk about how depressed and broken and ripped apart his life was. But then when he confessed his sin, when he came close to God again, he was able to now rejoice in a way that he had not been able to rejoice. He had experienced redemption and could sing the songs of the redeemed again. In Psalm 51, we hear that same song, that cry of David as he says that I need you, God, to restore the joy of of my salvation. He said, let not your your Holy Spirit be be taken from me, but restore the joy of your salvation. Bring me close to you again, God, because it's in your presence that I find fullness of joy. David had penned these words in Psalm 16, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. And listen to this, at your right hand, as David prayed to the Father, he said, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You know, Moses chose to suffer with the children of God, Hebrews chapter 11 says, rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. The joys of this world only last a short time and they're really no, not real joy at all. But he says in Psalm 1611, David said, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And in your presence is fullness of joy. If you're far from God, If you're not close to Jesus today, you're going to struggle with doubts. You're going to struggle with discouragement. 
you're going to be down and out rather than up and coming simply because you're not close to Jesus. Some of you know that when you're far from him, you even begin to doubt your faith and how real your faith is or how real God is. But when you're close to Jesus, the doubt and the discouragement begins to be replaced with joy because he is close and you are close to him. You can even be serving him and lose your joy because you spend so much time serving him and so little time knowing him. Remember the story of of Mary and Martha? Now years later, Jesus is in their home and Martha is serving and, and she's working hard and she's saying, irritatedly, you you can see there in the text that she says, Lord, can you get Mary to help me out here? She's sitting at the feet of Jesus. She's worshiping him. And and Martha is serving, not like Psalm 100 says, serve the Lord with gladness. She's serving and huffing and puffing. Anybody ever serve like that? You ever guilty of that, moms? (sighs) Anybody else going to help me around here? (sighs) All this hard work getting ready for Christmas and y'all just watching the football game? Mary is sitting there at the feet of Jesus. Now, now if you've got a, a Martha disposition, you know there are Marthas and Marys in here, right? Any Marthas here? Any Marys? <laughs> now, to be honest, there are times, if you're one of those Marthas, that there are people in your life, there are people in your home, there are people in the church that they're, they're struggling with a little lethargy and they need to get the lead out and they need to get busy for the kingdom of God. They need to get to work, no doubt about it. But sometimes it could be speaking to the Marthas here, that the reason you've lost your joy is not just because you're working harder than the Marys in your life, it's that the Marys in your life are close to Jesus, and you've lost your joy because the grace that they're experiencing, you're not experiencing, and you're trying to impress God with your works rather than enjoy God through grace, and it'll drive you nuts that everybody else don't care as much as you feel like you care. And go back at the beginning of time, Cain and Abel struggled. Uh, Cain's struggle was with the same thing. He, he, he couldn't impress God with words and was so angry at Abel who understood the message of grace. So we've got to be careful that we don't get far from Jesus and lose our joy. Staying close to him has to be a priority in your life. Secondly, here's the second truth, and like I said, these kind of overlap. Our joy is uncontainable because we are in communion with him. We are in communion. Back to this song that Mary, here is Mary, who seems at so many times to be an introvert, doesn't she? She keeps all these things, and she ponders them in her heart, the scripture tells us. She she meditates on these things, not very outspoken, but now in the presence of Elizabeth, she bursts forth in song and she says, my soul, the soul is basically representative of all that we are as a being and especially our personality, our disposition, all that we are physically and mentally. Everything that she had in mind and body was being experienced was expressing itself and declaring the greatness. He says it magnifies or declares the greatness, proclaims the greatness of our Lord. And then she says, and my spirit, the spirit is the part of us that is in communion with God. When God made us mind, body, and spirit, when he he made us living beings and he breathed life into us he gave us a spirit 
through which we have a relationship with God, through which we have and we're designed to have communion with God. And so she says here, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. My spirit expresses joy, that part of me that is in communion with him. And so she sings that and, and, and bursts forth in praise with her soul and her spirit. Uh, Psalm 103, all that is within me is to bless his name. And so she's in the midst of doing that. And in verse 48, it says, because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant or slave, surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. And this was fulfilled, in, in fact, in Luke chapter 11, verses 27 and 28, it says, as Jesus was teaching, as he said these things, a woman in the crowd spoke out to him and said, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast which, at which you nursed. And Jesus replied, and so, so this is being fulfilled that they're praising Mary, but Jesus replied this, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. How do we walk in communion with God? We walk in communion with God by spending time in his word, time in prayer, time in worship. Worship and prayer is us expressing ourselves to him, but listening in prayer and getting into his word is us receiving. That is communion. It's a conversation. It's a lifestyle of living in conversation with God. You see how that is closely related to being close it overlaps with being close to jesus when he is close and i enter into communion with him then all of the joy that he has to offer can flow freely from him into me and through me so that the world can see that i have that joy inexpressible and full of glory the word the prayer the communion we hear the word communion and we think breaking of bread, right? We, we think the, the, the bread and the cup. Communion is living your life in fellowship with Almighty God through the Word of God, through prayer, through worship, and listening to Him speak through His Word into your life. Here's the third truth, and they continue to overlap here. Our joy is uncontainable because Jesus is in control. There are things in life that even if you are close to Jesus Christ, even if you are walking with him, if you're sensitive and obedient to the Holy Spirit's word and work in your life, you will still go through difficult seasons. In fact, the very birth of Christ was not at an easy time. As they came, we often think, and some of you have picked up, there are still, by the way, Advent devotionals for you to pick up on your way out. They're free if you haven't picked up one. But as some of you read this morning, perhaps in the Advent devotional, that Jesus was not laid in the kind of manger that we picture in our nativity scenes. He was laid in one that was carved out of the stone, probably out of limestone, and he was surrounded by animals that probably smelled really, really bad. It was difficult circumstances when there was no room in the end, and here they are with the livestock probably walking around, as O.S. Hawkins says, hearing the squishy stuff underneath their feet in the dark. He came into that environment. Mary and Joseph didn't have an easy task being 
the ones who would be stewards and parents of the Messiah in this world. We'll go through difficult seasons of life, but he is in control of our lives personally. Look at verse 49. It says here, because the mighty one has done great things for me. For me, Mary says, his name is holy. It's personal. It's a very purposeful moment in her life. It says his mercy, verse 50, is from generation to generation on those who fear him. It's through a relationship with Christ that generation after generation after generation will come to know the Father. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their heart. He is going to be sovereign over all of the rulers in this world. There is joy in knowing that our life matters because we're bringing the message of Jesus Christ into this world through which people can find joy that is real, joy that is lasting. John 10, 10 in him uh, that we have The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but he comes that we might have what? Life and life more abundantly. I believe that there should be a joy in the life of Christian through that abundant life. She knows that he's in control, that he is the sovereign God, and he is doing great things for her. He's doing great things in the world through her. He has toppled the mighty, verse 52, from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He is sovereign. He is in control over all rulers that ever lived or ever will live. In fact, we read in that beautiful Christological passage in Philippians chapter 2 where it speaks that he humbled himself. Listen, he humbled himself from the moment he was born, but he would humble himself and become obedient to death, even the death of a cross. God would therefore highly exalt him and give him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of the Father. Not only the rulers in Rome of that day would have to bow to him one day, every ruler that ever lived would call him Lord. I love another Christological passage that I often refer to as found in Colossians chapter 1, beginning with verse 15. We've looked at this in the Advent series already, but I think it has great relevance here when we speak of the sovereignty of God as revealed in Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.15 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn, preeminent over all creation, because by him everything was created in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things are held together. He is also the head of the body of the church, He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. In that baby born in a manger, in that baby right here in Mary's womb, all of the fullness of God. He was not part God and part man. He was fully man and fully God. And all of the fullness of God dwelt in Jesus Christ. And through him, God is pleased here, through him, verse 20, to reconcile everything to himself by making peace through the blood of his cross, whether things on earth or things in heaven. That's the sovereign God that we find our joy in knowing that 
Christmas reveals something that as crazy as the world was at that time, God was still in control. God was at work. And today, as crazy as our world seems, or might I ask, how crazy does your life seem? As crazy as things seem, God is still in control. God is still working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Jesus is our sovereign Messiah. He is still in control. And if he can hold this world together, he can hold your life together. He can hold you together in the most difficult seasons of life. And finally, in verse 4, if that's the case, then our joy is uncontainable because I am in his care. He's a sovereign God, but that doesn't just speak of how an infinite God is so far above the finite. It speaks of one who intimately cares about everything who touches my life. Mary says he has satisfied the hungry with good things. He sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant, Israel, mindful of his mercy, just as he spoke to our ancestors, to Abraham, to his descendants forever. He hadn't forgotten his people. He hasn't forgotten Mary. He hadn't forgotten those that he loves, and he cares about everything that touches our lives. Sometimes when we use words like sovereign, we imagine a God that is cold and and distant and he's in control and he's manipulating things that take place in the world but but I don't really know him personally I can't really relate to him and that's the message of Christmas that the God who was beyond us that Isaiah 55 says that his ways and his thoughts are as far away from our ways and thoughts as the heavens are above the earth that God made himself seeable knowable touchable in Jesus Christ so that you can know and I can know that he cares for me and he cares for you. We could begin to think that God is distant and don't care if we aren't close to him and in communion with him. But as we draw close to him and as we live in communion with him, we understand that the God who is in control cares about you and cares about me. Just as he worked intimately in the life of Mary, he wants to work intimately in your life, drawing you even closer to him today. You know, Psalms 56 verse 8 says that God holds all our tears in a bottle. Isn't that amazing? That God, that the psalmist would say, God has my tears in a bottle. In other words, it was his way of saying, there's nothing that has ever broken my heart that he wasn't there to care for me through cares for you, cares about what touches your life. In Matthew chapter 10, we learned that not a sparrow can fall and God not know it. In Matthew chapter 6, we're, we're reminded when we begin to fear and worry about things that if he cares for the birds, how much more does he care for you and care for me? We are to remember our joy, uncontainable joy comes when we are close to him, when we live our lives in communion with him, when we know that he is in control, and when we understand that under that control, he cares about everything that touches our lives. Would you bow your heads with me this morning?